Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. All right. You know what's the Goldbergs, by the way? Oh, are you all too Christian or what? Stuff like that. Crazy. I'm in the wrong church. I love the 80s, but um, I love... Um, I, usually we don't have the time to actually sit through an entire movie, but I like actually being able to get a glimpse into sitcoms. And it's, a, it's so funny how many sitcoms actually are focused on family. It's almost like sitcoms allow you to actually look behind the closed doors where you see a little bit of crazy. And the reason why comedy works so well is because when we laugh at something, we're actually identifying something that's quite funny, but it's actually quite close to home as well. Does anyone else's house have a little bit of crazy in it? Really? The rest of you are lying. Everyone's house has a bit of crazy in it. And um, that's, what, um, that, that's one of the beautiful things about family. Seriously, we can't be too Christian not to admit we've got a bit of crazy in it. Because you guys look really good right now. But trust me, you come into the Ryder house, there's a whole bunch of crazy. Mitchell is nodding his head. Anyway. So we're in a brand new series um, today. It's going to go for a good while. And what we're trying to do is actually apply some of the things that we've learned over the last couple of years into the context of family. And I think that's some wisdom that we all really, really need. And we've called it, F is for family. F, F is for fighting. Anyone fighting their family? F is for feuding. No? I'm part of an Anglo-Indian family. Anglo-Indians feud like no one else. Maybe Italians, maybe. <laughs> F is for fun. F is for nom... No, phenomenal's P. F is for family. <laughs> Got to keep you on your toes. Family takes work. Don't you agree? Anyone else's family takes some work? Family um, takes ongoing work because the dynamics of family are constantly constantly changing. For me to participate and engage in the Ryder family, it's, it's almost like, I don't know if you've ever been to the beach and you see the waves, or you're in, like in there with the waves, and the waves are constantly moving, they're constantly coming in and going out, coming in and going out, and then out of nowhere, one wave comes in, knocks you over. You didn't even see it coming. Um, that's kind of like what family is, and something we need to actually really come to terms with. One of the big vulnerabilities, obviously, with Christianity is that as Christians, we have a tradition where we love to see the complexities of life and reduce them into simple, simple things, don't we? Um, we it was a couple of weeks ago, Imogen Hobie, they were over at our place, and she brought up a topic and a really complex thing, and trying to think it through is that we have this, um, there she is, we have this innate kind of want to actually make complex things very, very simple. And it's very hard to do that with the issues of this world and even more harder to do it when it comes to families because the dynamics, the structures, things like family of origin coming together. When the scripture says, the two shall become one flesh, that word become, oh, that's the hard, hard word, isn't it? By nature, we want to make complex things simple so that we feel that we're in control and I'll put this out there so that we feel we're in control especially when there are so many things which are out of our control at the moment isn't that right 
One of the frustrating things about Scripture is that Scripture does not have a chapter and verse for many of the things that we have to deal with in our life in 2022. I know there are some things that are over there, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues, a lot of conversations where there isn't a chapter and verse. And that's really hard for us because as Christians, we want to be told what to think. But as I've said many times in this place, I'm not going to tell you what. We're going to actually try to go on a journey of discovering how to think about our life, how to think about the gospel and how to think about families. You know, you've got that first fight. Do you remember the first fight with your new wife? Do you remember that? Husbands? Wives, do you remember the first fight with your new husband, you know? The problem is you can't just like walk off in a huff and go home because you are home, right? Isn't that a problem? You know, I'm, I'm going, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going home. Oh, I'm already home. And then you go talk to other people that, you know, Scripture says don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger and all that. The problem is the sun went down like two hours ago. But we want to look at Scripture literally instead of literarily and not get the wisdom out of it. I mean, like, what do you do there? There's not really, like, what do you do then? There, there, there are some things. I, I remember the first time I brought Kayla home. Do you remember, like, your firstborn? It's okay when they're in a hospital, but then you have to transport your newborn from hospital home, and then you're in the car, and you're driving it 20 kilometers when it's, like, 70, and you're driving the whole way, and you're absolutely petrified. Because for some reason, God gave you a little person to look after. I mean, that is crazy. Where's a chapter and verse for that? What happens when your spouse is upset and they distance themselves and they don't know why? That happens, right? They don't know why. It's one thing for me not to know why, but what happens when they don't know why either? What, how, how, do you deal, how do you deal with that? What about when your child, oh my goodness, I don't even want to say this. What happens when Kayla brings home a boyfriend for the first time? I mean, where's the chapter and verse for that? We're talking about a completely different culture. It ain't there. What about Jackson's first heartbreak? How am I going to walk with him about it? What about as you watch your parents get older and um, then you have to... It's funny, like, it's funny. Obviously, like, Dad passed away... Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Today is actually the anniversary of my dad's passing away. Um, it's funny, like, even as, as um, you can be an adult, but then when your parent dies, it's like you feel like a kid again. It's a, it's a weird we think. How do you deal with that, and how do you come to terms as yet another year passes? I know there's a lot of people here where another year has passed. Even like Chitty in the prayer meeting this morning was talking about his mum who passed away. There's no chapter and verse for all of this stuff. In fact, the modern-day conception of a singular family living in a single dwelling, that is actually a really, really modern concept. That's only been around um, for probably less than 100 years, actually. So in the scope of history, this is a really, really modern thing. Even the whole notion of the nuclear family is becoming more and more uncommon in our world, isn't it? You know? What about blended families? Anyone from a blended family? Anyone got some, um, some stepkids, um, foster kids? We've got foster kids. Families look all kinds of different. In fact, this week I was listening to this beautiful, beautiful interview from this older lady. And, and what her and her um, husband have, have done is that they've created this context because there is this unseen phenomenon which is happening in WA at the moment where grandparents are now the primary caregivers of their grandchildren. 
And that causes all sorts of social um, complexities for them. Because all of a sudden they're isolated from other, uh, their friends and all that because they've got little ones and, and they're trying to provide support and context for this growing phenomena where grandparents are looking after their grandkids because their grandkids' parents are unable to look after them. That's a growing thing. I mean, that's really, really complex, isn't it? F is for family. Well, I'm going to say as we kick off this series, F is for trying to figure this out together that's what f is about trying to figure this out together trying to figure it out within the vision of what it means to be the people of god and if i'm talking about f is trying to figure this out that's been my story the father figures or the adult males in my life i have not gleaned wisdom from the people who should have actually shown me what it is to be a father my entire life as being a husband as a father is trying to figure this out I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to grapple with it. I'm trying to wrestle with it. I'm trying to go to Scripture. I'm trying to see, okay, what is this kingdom about? What does it mean to be this new humanity, this new community? What does it mean? I'm trying to figure it out. And as I figure a couple of things out, I want to be close enough with some other people so they don't need to figure out as much stuff as what I've had to figure out. Does that make sense? Is anyone else trying to figure it out? Any husbands here and you say, I'm actually trying to figure this thing out. Any wives, I'm trying to figure this out. In this crazy, beautiful world that God's places in 2022, I'm here, I'm trying to figure this out. F is for trying to figure it out. So that's what we're going to have in our mind today. We're trying to figure this out. There are no experts in this room. Not that I know of. And in order to do this, we're going to spend a bit of time in the household codes in the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us for a couple of years, a couple of years ago, we went through um, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is Paul's manifesto, his last kick of the can. If you had one last chance to say what was most important to you, what would you say? Well, this is Paul's manifesto, where he gives his vision of the church, of what God is doing and of what this true humanity is. Ephesians lays out that the church is to participate and epitomize the triumph of God in Christ by effectively actualizing its identity as the new humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this present age which is being influenced by rebellious unseen powers. Fred Lehman says that God's purpose is to set new creation in the midst of old, to redeem people in the midst of the fallen, to love in the midst of hostility, self-abasement in the midst of self-assertion, submission in the midst of domination in order to humanize and redeem the fallen structures of this world. So how do you do that as a modern day family? Well, F is for trying to figure that out. And that's what we're going to be doing. So today we're actually going to have to do some work. So in participating in the victory of Christ, if that is to epitomize what it means to be this true humanity, how are we going to do that? That's a big question. What does that even mean? How do we grasp or conceptualize this? Well, in order to do this, funnily enough, Paul doesn't start talking about governments. He doesn't start talking about nations. He doesn't start talking about villages. What Paul does when he's talking about what it means to actually give a manifesto for this new true humanity under the lordship of Jesus Christ, what he does, he starts talking to the family. That's what he does. He starts talking to the family. And um, in Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 6, verse 9, is a passage which is commonly known as the household code. And it is a manifesto 
of God's new creation people, this radical new society. So we want to be thinking deeply about this, to be thinking deeply about family, and to see how our families, how the Ryder family, can actually participate in the vision of this new humanity. G.K. Chesterton said many, many years ago, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. Isn't that true? Okay, we're going to start off in Romans 12 before going to Ephesians. Romans 12 verse 2, let me just um, set this as a foundation for us. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Faithful Christian living requires three things as we launch into this figuring out of family. Number one, it it is going to um, require the engagement of our will. The engagement of our will. Paul says, do not, do not, do not, do not conform. That's an engagement of the will. That, that actually means that I need to intentionally take a posture of being engaged. It's something about me. No, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something else. Second thing is, is an engagement of our intellect. Any intellectual people here? Any smarties here? Everyone's smart. We've all got the same brain. Did you know that? We've all got the same brain. We're all smart. We're all intellectual. But it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. To actually intellectually critique this world. There are patterns, there are influences, there are forces that are trying to move us, trying to mold us. And part of actually living successfully in our world and actually figuring out what it means to be a family in the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ is to be aware and to actually make critiques. There are things that are, that are trying to push me in certain places. There are ideologies which are trying to infiltrate our family, trying to infiltrate our church. They come from the world and I need to critically be able to identify and think about those things and the last thing is that we need to engage grace. Because Paul says, then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's accepting and perfect will of God. Then, which implies there's going to be some times when we don't approve God's will in marriages. Are there any honest husbands who would say, there are many times when I've done things and that hasn't actually been in the will of God? Any wives? Any humans? The beautiful thing is we have this beautiful gift called grace. Amen? And we need to engage grace because there are going to be times when we do not get this together. So what we're going to do, just that as the backdrop, I'm going to read the household codes in your hearing. Uh, so it won't be on the screen, but um, just listen to it as I speak. And then we're going to um, just focus in on, on, on just one verse in the beginning. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 6, verse 9. And... Um, if you do have your app, there are some sermon notes there. I forgot to mention that earlier. Verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his, of, um, of his body, the church. As the Christ submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without um, fault. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man leaves his wife and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them at all times, not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. This is a household code. The reason why we call this a household code is because we have other household codes of um, that particular um, um, era. The Roman Empire had household codes. Household codes were very, very common um, in the ancient world. And the household um, was supposed to be the paradigm and reference point for religious, for moral, as well as for social, political, and economic organization interaction and ideologies. So the reason why we identify this as a household code um, is because we know there are many, many household codes. And this reads very similarly but different to the other household codes. But knowing that it's a household code, it's also really important for us to understand what Paul is actually doing as he presents a household code to um, the churches. And again, this is Paul's manifesto. This is his last letter. This is his last communication. He's saying this is the most important thing. So what Paul does with this passage is similar to what he does with many common slogans of the known day. One of our difficulties is that we read slogans that Paul is actually trying to subvert and we read the slogans as scripture. But we need some background knowledge to know exactly what Paul is doing and we need some background knowledge to know what Paul is actually doing with his household code because what he is doing is that he is taking the codes of the day and he is subverting them with gospel dynamics. He's infusing them with gospel seed. And he's wanting to actually plant gospel seeds within the known household codes of the ancient world. So here's the first question for us to think about because this is going to require a bit of our intellect, engaging our intellect. Here's a question. I wonder if you've thought about this. What are the household codes of 2022? Have you thought about that? What are the ideologies that are just like, oh, that's just common, that's just known? What are the household codes? Because if we're going to do what Paul's doing over there, it's going to be helpful if we can identify the household codes of 2022 and then take the gospel seeds, the gospel dynamic, and actually subvert them. It's going to require a little bit of thinking, though. What are the household codes? Be interesting to think about that. 
In the ancient world, the household code was upheld, upheld that the man was everything in the household. The man was everything. Everything, absolutely everything. In fact, Philo writes, Wives must be servitude to their husbands, a servitude not imposed by violent treatment, but promoting obedience in all things. That's what's going to happen. Parents must have power over their children. The same holds for any person over whom he, the man, has authority. So the household code in the Roman Empire only addressed the man. Didn't talk to anyone else. Didn't talk to women, didn't talk to kids, didn't talk to slaves. All right? So, interesting, what Paul does in the household code, he talks to everyone in the house. He is subverting a household code of the known day right there. And we get caught up in all of these cultural things of 2,000 plus years ago when we read things like slaves and masters, not understanding. Paul is situated and located in that time, in that place, in that era, and he is trying to bring a kingdom dynamic into that paradigm right there. What is the paradigm for 2022 that we are trying to address? That's how we have to think, all right? That's how we have to think. And the very first thing, straight off the bat, Roman Empire, you only speak to the man. Paul goes, all right, I'm going to speak to everyone. Because everyone's made in the image of God. And everyone has a voice. And everyone has a say. There are parts of that household code, even in Ephesians, that we've weaponized and have actually really, really um, caused a lot of harm, especially to women, over the last decades. Oh, well, probably, well, definitely more than that. So Paul uses these gospel dynamics to subvert the household code of the day. Again, I wonder what the household codes are of 2022. 2022, I wonder what they are. That'd be a great question. All right, today we're only going to focus on one verse, and we're going to try and outwork that in another passage. But the one verse is found in Ephesians 5 verse 21. We're trying to try to figure out what this means. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. I've already let you know that Paul is already subverting the known household codes of the ancient world by talking to everyone. So as he's talking to everyone, everyone's in the room together, everyone's in the gathering together. He starts off and he says that um, submit, everyone, submit to one another. Submit to one another. What does this mean? Who does that include? Well, one another includes everyone, doesn't it? You know? It includes everyone. Everyone includes everyone. Could you, can you picture in your mind, in a, in a culture, in a world where the man is everything, and in the house the man answers to no one, Paul comes and he says, everyone, all y'all, all together, submit to one another. That is huge. Because everyone's everyone. And it's pretty clear, isn't it? What does that mean? Husbands, submit to your wife. Say, what? No, 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 no. I'm going back to Philo's household code. I like that one better. You might like that one better, but it's not going to be in resurrection life. Right? Wives, submit to your husband. I'm not going to submit to my husband. Children, submit to your parents. We love that one. Yeah? Here's the kicker. Parents, what does it mean for you to submit to your children? Oh, are you kidding me? Like we can rattle off that verse, but what exactly does that mean? Because it goes deep, you know. That goes deep. 
And the instruction actually couldn't be any clearer. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, how does that one instruction stand in the patterns and customs of this world? How does that one instruction confront the highly prized patterns of this present age and the family codes of 2022? I mean, how does that one instruction confront that stuff? Here's a couple of things that it confronts um, in our modern world. This idea of my own unlimited personal freedom. Submit to one another. How's that going to work with that? Not too great, right? Individualization. That hurts, eh? I reckon next week you guys aren't even going to rock up the church. So this is just messing too much. Atomization. Safety. Safety. We live in a world... Like, like, seriously, if COVID shown us nothing else, that we value safety above almost everything else, who in the world thought that we would be told, you know, stay home, mask up, and all this kind of stuff, and we would do it as Australians? The only reason why we do that is because safety is, like, number one as far as our value. How is safety going to stand up with submitting to one another? The idea of being vulnerable. Now, I want to make myself safe. Here's a big one. No suffering. Anyone like suffering? Wow. We live in a culture that doesn't like suffering. That's going to be really, really hard. Masculinity. Did you know, like, culturally, you can actually look at our, look, look at, um, our Western world in Australia. We're very masculine. Did you know that? The thing I find really funny is that even the feminists use masculinity in order to promote their message. It's true. But it's one of the dynamics of culture you actually assess. Is this culture more feminine or masculine? We're a masculine culture. How does it come there? This idea of immediacy. Immediacy. Does people like things immediate? Man, I ordered some books a month ago. still hasn't come. It's driving me nuts. Credit. I can get what I want now and I can pay the price later. How many times have we applied that value to our marriages? If I do this, I can get what I want now. I know it's going to cost me later, but I'll pay that price later. Yeah? Even if that price is something huge and disastrous. But I'll pay that later. I'll, I'll act in such a way, I know how to get what I want, I'll get it now. Five years down the track, she might leave me, I'll pay that price later. That immediacy, that is a big value for us in a Western world. Is this messing with us a little bit today? It's okay, it's messing with me too. What does it mean to submit to one another? That's a really, really big question. Well, in order to do that, I wanted to unpack um, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, so if you have your Bibles, how about you turn there? This is a key passage of Scripture. We've um, looked at this previously, um, but we will continue to look at this in the coming years. For as long as you have me as your senior pastor, we will always be coming back to this. And um, within a flip, uh, the, this passage of Philippians 2, 1 to 8, um, we actually um, read um, what has become known as Paul's master story, his master narrative of his life. And um, as we go through this, we're actually going to be looking at Jesus, and it's going to give us a bit of an idea of what it actually means to submit to one another. What does it mean for me to submit to Andrew? What does it mean for me to submit to Kayla and Jackson? What does it mean for me as your senior pastor to submit to you? 
And what does it mean for you to submit to each other and even for you to submit to your husband, your wife? What does it mean for us to submit to one another? Because that's a big question. It's a Christianese kind of question. We throw it out there having no idea what it actually means. From verse 1, Philippians 2. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each um, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. That's the clincher right there. In your relationships with one another. Well, what relationships? That would actually imply all of our relationships, right? In all of my relationships, as I go about my living, whether that be relating to Andrew, whether that relating to my kids, whether that relating to Chelsea, in all of my relationships, Paul's saying, have the same mindset as Jesus. Well, what is that mindset? Glad you asked. Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, scholars have identified this doxology um, of Paul um, as Paul's master story. It's a narrative that is woven through Paul's life. It's a narrative that's woven through Paul's letters, if we're paying attention. In essence, it's saying that a community that is united in Christ will be shaped by the story of Christ, which has been narrated in Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. And the narrative follows a specific pattern, which is difficult to live out, but nevertheless, it is there. Um, Derek, I wonder if you could put up that slide for us and just keep it up for a good bit. This is the narrative that we find in Philippians 6, uh, 2, verse 6 to wait, it's that pink slide. No, the one which I emailed you. There we go. This is the narrative pattern which is found, which scholars have seen, and it's actually woven through Paul's letters. It says this, Although X, not Y, but Z. Although X, not Y, but Z. What does that actually mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. In this kind of formula, X equals status. I think I've got that in your notes. X equals status. Y equals selfishness. And Z equals selflessness. And what Paul does over here is that he actually pulls out the narrative story of Jesus as he's on the cross. Presenting Jesus' status, presenting his disposition, and also presenting his activity. So obviously, when talking about Jesus, Jesus has a pretty unique status. He has a status that no one else in this room has. His status is that he is God, right? We know that. He is God. Being God comes with a couple of privileges, doesn't it? Don't you reckon? You know? Because 
Whenever we can identify our status, we also need to go a little bit further and say, with my status comes privilege. With my status comes some levers of privilege which I can pull. Or not pull, or pull. Jesus, being God, has a couple of statuses up his sleeve. You know? I mean, God has got a couple of things. Here's, a, here, here, here's quite an impressive one, which he could pull. Do, do you remember he's in the garden and the soldiers come and, and, and like Peter like kind of gets out a sword and goes about business, like cutting off an ear and all that? Well, Matthew kind of actually fills us in a little bit of what Jesus said in that moment. Matthew 26, verse 5, 53. Jesus speaking says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I mean, talking about like there's some privilege there. There's some power there. There's some levers there. Could you imagine that? Like right now, you're coming against me. You don't understand. One word. And there's going to be like 20,000 angels. What are you going to do with that? Do you not know? Later on in this doxology, Paul very, very directly uh, through the Old Testament scriptures actually identifies Jesus as Yahweh. So Jesus has a fair few levers he could pull. The question is, is he going to pull those levers for his own gain, selfishness, that's what why is. Or is he going to act in a way which is selfless? That's what Z is. Although X, not Y, but Z. So Jesus, having the status of God, does not use his status for selfishness, but rather selflessness. Let me read to you again, Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8, to see if you can see the narrative formula here. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. There we go. Rather, I love that word rather, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As he's hanging on that cross, he has a lever he could pull even at that very moment. He could call one word and it'd be like thousands and thousands of angels to come and take care of business. And that would be to his advantage. What advantage is that? He doesn't have to be on the cross anymore. He doesn't have to die anymore, right? That's a pretty good advantage. He doesn't have to be naked, humiliated, like on the cross anymore. But instead, he does something else. What does he do? He does Z. What is that? He voluntarily takes on human skin to the point of becoming like a slave or becoming a slave. In that, in that, in that, 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 that world, being a slave, there is nothing beneath being a slave. He's a slave. And more than that, voluntarily he humbles, he humiliates um, the self-humiliation and obedience that leads to death. Jesus' narrative is although X, not Y, but Z. Although he's God, he doesn't use the levers for his own benefit. In fact, he acts in a way that benefits you and me here today. Doesn't do selfishness does selflessness. So let's think about this. Let's take that and try to apply. Because what does it mean to submit to one another? This is what it means. Although X, not Y, but Z, that's what submitting to one another means. Because submission, that's one of those Christian slippery words, is far too ambiguous. 
But if we're going to, na- if we're going to dig deep, how are we going to define that? Well, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to cruciformity. Let's actually identify that. What does submitting to one another mean? Although X, not Y, but Z. In all of your relationships, every single one of them, have the same mindset as Christ. Although X, not Y, but Z. So, married people. Marriage is a relationship, isn't it? It's a pretty key one. How are we going to apply that to our marriage? Hmm. Well, the first question you need to ask is, what status do I have? That's a pretty easy one. Am I a husband or a wife? With that status, here comes the second question. What privileges come with that status? What power do I have with that status? What levers are within reach with that status? What powerful levers? What levers of power do I have? That seems pretty reasonable to think that way, but let's not do you, let's do me. Okay? Let's do me. Let's do Dave Ryder. Are you okay with doing me? All right, let's figure this out. Status. I'm a husband. Obvious. I'm a father. Here's a really big one. I'm a male. That's a big one. I'm a coloured male. That's different to a white male. There's a distinction. You may not know that. I know that. It's okay. I'm a community leader. That's a status. More than that, I'm a spiritual leader. That's a status, isn't it? Um, And even in being a spiritual leader, as far as churches of Christ are concerned, I'm on the board. I'm actually a leader in our movement. There's some status things which I need to identify, you know. So with that, with, with that status, all those status, I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff there, isn't there? A bit of things to think about. So with that status, what power comes with that status? That's an interesting question. Well, I think most of you guys can see I'm a pretty big fella. Bigger than most, stronger than most. Their size, that's something that comes. Um, intellect, um, not to blow my own horn, but this is something I do need to consider. I've got pretty big thinking capacity. I'm pretty sharp and I can figure people out very fast. I can figure people out to the point where I can find points of vulnerability. How am I going to use that? That's a strength. That's a lever which I have. I've got to think about this, you know. You may be thinking, Dave's got a big head, right? No, I'm just actually just, I said, let's not do you, let's do me. So we're going to do me. I hold a valid spirituality card because I am a senior pastor. So when I say things, people actually listen. How am I going to use that? I've got that. I've got a pretty big personality. Anyone realize that? I mean, if I wanted to, I can walk into any room and people will know I'm there. I can actually do that. I've got a big personality. I'm a good communicator. I can use words very effectively. How am I going to use that? I'm charismatic and I'm very well networked in Perth. These are privileges levers this is power which i have at my disposal do i pull them why do i pull them 
because I can pull them. And the reality is, I should pull them. The question is, Dave, why are you pulling them? For what purpose? For what purpose? I'm going to come back to that in a moment because I want to talk about privilege a little bit. As a husband, what are the levers that you have? What privileges, what levers, what power do you have that you can pull for your own advantage? That's a big question. As wives, what levers do you have? Um, what would be interesting, if you're kind of trying to, hard to figure that out, just go out, have a coffee, and ask your spouse. Because if you've been married for any length of time, they will let you know because they've experienced it. And it's just, look, that's an open, honest conversation, isn't it? It's like, babe, pardon? Like, there are things which I do to get what I want. I think I know what they are, but I'm pretty sure you've experienced it, so tell me, what are they? That, that's pretty, that, I mean, but that takes an honest conversation, doesn't it? Honest conversation. But what does it mean to submit to one another? I need to, I need to, I need to think about this kind of stuff. So that would be interesting to actually, like, like just... Like have a chat with your spouse, your husband, your wife. Say, like, what levers do I use to get what I want, right? Um, what are the good things that I use as a weapon? I mean, that's that something that happens in marriages, right? Or is that just our marriage? Happens in your marriage as well? No? I mean, I, I think I find that God gives us good gifts, but like all of God's good gifts, they can easily become weapons. And instead of being used for flourishing, they dehumanize, don't they? What are some of the good gifts that we weaponize? I mean, money? Do we weaponize money sometimes? Yeah. What about sex? Anyone believe that sex is a good gift from the Lord? Yeah? Yeah, Pangy believes that. Amen. Does anyone know that sex gets misused, so instead of bringing flourishing... It dehumanizes and brings damage. Yeah? In the same vein, how many of you know that in a marriage context, something as beautiful as sex can be used as a weapon for punish? You know? I mean, th I mean this is like, these are marriage questions to actually talk about and think about. What about like in your marriage? One of you is like, let's be honest, one of you, you got like a sharper intellect than the other one. And like you can talk and you can do things and the other one like, walks away and is like, what just happened there? And they're just kind of left, left in, a, in, a, in a spin. That is a great, amazing, good gift that can actually be used and used as a weapon, can't it? It can do. I can get what I want um, by doing this. What is the This. I think um, even um, a lot of times we can use things like distance or silence, can't we? You know, I'm going to show, I'm going to show her. I'm going to nick off to the pub. I'm going to show him. I'm not going to talk to him for a day. Wait a minute. What just happened there? Because all of a sudden, a weapon has entered into our household. And that might be a very, very legitimate, common part of the household code of the world in 2022 
But how do we take gospel dynamic and subvert the common household codes of 2022 so that our house is epitomizing and actualizing and embodying what it means to be this new vision of humanity on earth? And I'm saying all that sort of stuff because, like, just because I'm standing here as a spiritual leader, make no mistake, I mean, this stuff enters our house as well. We're all in the same boat here. You know, we're all in the same boat. We all have status. Everyone here has a status. Have you thought about that? We all have levers. We're just asking the question today, how often do you pull the levers and have you used those levers for your own advantage? Okay, let me just talk a little bit about privilege right now. At the moment, there seems to be a bit of a demonization of privilege. Have you heard terms like white privilege, like being floated around and all that kind of stuff? And like, if you've got education, you've got privilege and all that. Um, can, can I submit to you that we don't need to demonize privilege? Is that okay with you? It's, you're not sure about that, are you? We don't need to demonize privilege. I don't think we need to demonize. I don't think we should demonize privilege. I think we should actually celebrate privilege. The question is not if you've got privilege or not. You've got privilege. You've got privilege. I have privilege. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm a male. That comes with some privilege. What am I going to do? Well, there's some things the world could tell me to do, but what am I going to do? I'm still going to be like... But, but the question is not whether or not you have privilege. We don't need to demonize privilege. The question we're asking today is, what are we going to do with our privilege? That's the question. We don't need to, to, to engage in a conversation saying, oh, like, this person's got privilege, that privilege. Oh, praise God, you've got some privilege. You've got some levers. You've got some power. You know what? That, if you have privilege and you have power and you have some levers, that must mean you can do some great things for God, right? The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to do Y or are you going to do Z? That's the question. X is there. You've got X. You need to think hard. What is that status I have? With that status, what are the levers that I have? And the question is, do I pull this lever for my own advantage or will I pull this lever for the advantage of my family? That's the question. So for myself, look at me. I'm a big guy. I've got great communication. I've got great intellect. I'm sharp. I can figure people out pretty fast. How am I going to use that information? How am I going to use that power? Am I going to use that for my own self-preservation, for my own protection? Or am I going to go about business and say, you know what, God, thank you so much for these levers in my life. Thank you for the power. Thank you for the things that you put within reach. I'm going to pull that. 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 And as I'm pulling that, it's going to bless everyone else. I'm going to do it for the sake of others and not for the sake of me. That's the question. In your marriage, think seriously. The levers you have as a husband, the levers you have as a wife, are you going to pull those levers for the flourishing of your wife, for the flourishing of your husband, or because you just want to get what you want to get? That's the question. And we are, we, we, we are at risk of being caught into a false narrative where we, start where we start demonizing things which can actually be used as a good gift for the flourishment of others. Does that make sense? You guys are very quiet today. Is that because it's kind of like, a bit deeper, how can I pull those levers? How can I use those good gifts for the flourishment of my family? That's a big question for me. How can I use? How can I use that? I'm a legitimate spiritual leader. How do I use that? 
how can I leverage that for you guys? You know, I'm a good communicator. How can I leverage that? I've got this intellect. What can I do with that? I'll tell you one thing I'm doing this year. I'm going back to study. I love it. It's hard. But that's in recognition. God, you've given me an intellect. How can I leverage that for the sake of others? These are the questions that we need to ask. So let's not demonize that. Let's encourage each other, especially if you are a young married. All right, this is a great place for you to be. Let me encourage you to actually identify the levers, the power, the privilege, the status that you have, so that you can actually use that, you can pull those levers for the gain of your wife, for the gain of your husband, for the gain of your family. Not for selfish gain, but a posture of pouring out in selflessness to others. And again, this is going to take some thinking. Like, seriously, like we're going through this sermon today, this message today. Do not think in this 40 minutes or so, you're going to have this figured out. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to give you a framework. And from here, we're all going to go home and then we're going to sit down and say, okay, I need to figure this out now. Because F is for figuring it out, right? F is for figuring it out. But this is this new vision of humanity that Paul has put in place out there. And it begins with submitting to one another. What does it mean for me to submit to each other? And in order for me to actually submit to Andrea, in order for me to think about this, in order for me, as someone who's almost 43, the father of my children, in order for me to submit to my preteen Kayla, crazy, I'm going to have to figure out what that means. I'm going to have to sit down and say, okay, what levers do I have? What levers have I used for me? And how can I use those very same levers for her? That's what it means for me to submit to Kayla. Although X, not Y, but Z. When my child is becoming a teen and they're rebelling like nothing else. Has anyone already been through that season? All right. There's a whole bunch of us and we're about to approach that season. Isn't that right, Chelsea? Right? We're about to approach that season, but when our beautiful little angels become teenagers and hormones are going off and they're starting to rebel like nothing else, what is, what, what, what do I do? Although X, not Y, but Z. I just got completely misunderstood by my spouse. I said something, I tried to say it clearly, I was completely misunderstood. You know what, man, I want to fight right now like nothing else. And even though I want to fight, I need to step back and say, okay, although X, I really want to do Y. Man, I want to do Y, God. Jesus. Jesus. Man, I just want to do Y. Holy Spirit, help me. Okay, what does X look like? What does, no. Z look like? What does Z look like? When you want to distance and you want to leave. Because you want to... Because the reality is... The, the reality is... Let's, let's be real for a moment. The reality is, you just want them to know you're upset. And you just want to really let them know. You don't think I've been there? <laughs> 
I can, but look, what, what are my big problems? It's a blessing too. One of my big problems is, like, I have a face that doesn't hide anything. <laughs> I mean, if I'm not happy, I mean, like, gee, J- Janet, you, I mean, you've got a face that doesn't hide anything either. Most of the time you're happy, though. Um, we can let each other know when we're not happy in that moment, although X, not Y. But Z, I mean, that's hard. That's hard. I want to attack. I want to use these good gifts that God's given me and I want to turn them into weapons, weapons of mass destruction in our marriage. Instead of using these good gifts for the flourishing of my spouse, I want to use them to attack. Although X, not Y, but Z. Although X, not Y, but Z. Here's a little bit of a, little, little bit of a thing that you've probably figured out by now. Although X, we really want to do Y. But the trick is, how do I resist Y and how do I do Z? G.K. Chesterton, once again, he said, Christianity, the Christian ideal, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. F is for family. Amen. But for today, New Spring Church, F is for figuring it out. And all of us together, myself included, we will go from this place into the foyer, have a great coffee, beautiful coffee. The Langies, oh, that was a great coffee this morning. And after our coffee, we will go home and we need to figure this out. If you're newly married or if you're dating or if you're single, this is a great place for you guys to be. Because right at the beginning you can actually start thinking about these questions. You can start thinking about this narrative, this master story that is thread throughout the entire of of the New Testament. What does it mean to have my life shaped in a posture of Jesus on the cross? Theologically, we call this cruciformity. That the cross is not a ticket for me to get to heaven. The cross provides the model and the example by which I am to live my entire life life. The cross is something that says to me, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. What does that mean? Well, this is what it means. Although you do have status and you do have power and you do have privilege, you definitely have levers. Cruciformity asks the question, how can I resist selfishness? How can I resist the urge to pull these for me? for my safety, for my comfort, and for my pleasure? And how can I turn the tables on the principalities and the powers that are trying to rip my family apart, trying to rip my world apart, trying to rip my church apart? How can I turn the tables and resist by saying, you know what? I want to do why. I ain't doing it. Satan, you can go get stuffed. I'm going to do Z. I'm going to use those very same gifts, that very same grace, that very same power that comes from that status that's been given to me by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I will use it to pour myself out for the flourishment of others, for the flourishment of my wife, for the flourishment of my my, my kids, for the flourishment in my particular instance, for the flourishment of every person in our beautiful church. And as I do that, I will rejoice and I will be glad. That's what it means. But we're going to have to figure it out.
Don't be conformed to the pattern of this present evil age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's going to require intellect. It's going to require will. And it's going to require grace. Because we're not going to get this right many times. Amen. Has that been helpful today? All right. Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. I present every family before you, God. Every history. Every moment where levers have been weaponized and caused damage. Holy Spirit, would you bring a balm of healing in Jesus' name? And Father, with this information, by being able to drill down a little bit more, by being able to broaden our understanding, would there be a rethinking, a reimagining, a repentance before you and in our families? And Holy Spirit, would you lead us in the path of life, in the path of flourishing? In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you would like prayer this morning, you don't need to tell us what for, but if you like prayer this morning as we go into this last song, we're able to do like a worship song. Sorry, guys. We'll have a prayer team up and they can just lay hands on you. And if nothing else, it just lets you know, today is 7th of, 7th of August. I've discovered something new. It's like, God, I, I, I've discovered something which I didn't know previously. And I just want to let you know that I know. God, I just want to let you know I know. And I need your help in doing this. So if you're in that place, please come forward. So people will lay hands on you and uh, pray for you. But anyway, how about we stand, let's worship God and um, um, we'll move on.